by Riverside. What's going on, everybody? Another episode of the Backside Ground Ball Pod. Um, hope everyone had a, a good Thanksgiving weekend, a nice long weekend. From the 9 to 5 grind, Trev is with me tonight. It's Sunday, November 27th. Trev, how we doing? Good. You know, first Thanksgiving on my own. Couldn't make it home because of work. So a lot of sitting around, a lot of hanging out. Um, quiet household, lots of food, lots of leftovers. So, you know, it was a good holiday. How about you? I know you, you at least had some uh, family in the area. Yeah, busy. We can get to me in a minute. What did you guys, what did you guys end up doing on Thursday? Sitting around doing nothing. We had uh, my cousin over for breakfast. Um, lives in, he's stationed down in Fayetteville. Uh, so him and his wife and kids came over, um, did breakfast, and then pretty much went right into cooking for dinner and cooked all day and then turn around and ate and then it was pretty much time for bed at that point so it was just the two of you? it was all yeah it was just the two of us thanksgiving dinner did you have like all the the whole thing did you do like the we whole had spread? St- i'm not a turkey guy so we did a we did a chicken instead in the oven because better leftovers just easier to do especially when it's only two of us rather than you're not pleasing a crowd like no need to to do the turkey um so we did a chicken stuffing, mashed potatoes, some rolls. Um, that was pretty much it. Green beans for the dinner, and then just some apple crisp for dessert. Mm. It's not bad Thanksgiving. No, it came it came out good. Breakfast was really good. Um, nice. Made some homemade. Danielle made some homemade cinnamon rolls, so they came out really good. That's huge. Did you miss Delaware at yeah. all? No. Not at all. I, I I mean I miss my family, yeah, but like it, when you work when you work on Wednesday and you work on Friday, like you just enjoy the yeah, you just enjoy the moment to kinda to breathe for a day before you gotta go back to work. Yeah, just like a, a stealing off day in there. Yeah. Exactly. Nice. I'll tell you what, the four day weekend. This is the first time I've been like on a Sunday in a while where I'm like, man. Five zero one two to go back because when you're running the normal like yeah. the great thing about holidays to me is like the, you have the time off. The worst part about holidays is then like having to get back into your routine because from like yeah. I'm so routine oriented that when I get into my routine of the weeks, like I have no problem. I can keep going. I can keep going. Give me a little two day weekend. I'll roll back in Sundays. Like I have my Sunday routine down, so I got no issues. I'm not like oh I got to go back to work on Monday. Like whatever. Like I get into it. But then when you give me like a four day or like this, I'm like man. I don't want to go back to work tomorrow. Dude, and, like, I was all thrown out of whack this weekend. I thought, yeah. I thought yesterday was Sunday all day long. Really? All day long. Yeah, all day long. I kept feeling like it was Sunday at points, and I'm like, oh, we have another day. And then uh, you know, today was just doing some chores. But I'll tell you what, it, it's t- it's just tough for me. Like I, the adjustment back after the four day is like, oh, man. I don't yeah. want to go to work tomorrow. No interest. It'll, in work. it'll get you. It, it'll get you when you're. Yeah, when it's you just get off like the perfect routine. amount of time to write. It's like yeah. the perfect amount of time to like get out of the mental space. Like I haven't thought about work in four days. 
Yeah. Well, December, November, late November and the month of December is probably the most missed days at the gym in the world. Just because people Uh get, it's not even about like people being lazy or eating bad or anything like that. It's just people being off their routine and it just makes getting up out of bed, like on that Monday morning, so much harder. And then you're tired come like Thursday and you're like, it's just the worst. So the nice thing for me is I I don't have a problem getting up ever. So like this weekend I was at the gym every day because it's even better Mm -hmm. for me when it's an off day. Cause it's like, oh, yes. no, I don't ha- I'm not trying to like go to the gym and squeeze around work. Like the gym is like my main priority almost like Thursday morning. You know, I almost made it late for Thanksgiving dinner on Thursday. Cause I was getting back from the gym and like had to shower and change. But I was like, no, it's like, this is great. Like I can get up and go yeah. and not have to worry about doing anything else. Um, yeah. This time of year, this time of year for most people, like they say that nothing gets done. Like it's the least productive time of year from like this week on through the new year, except for me and you who work jobs where like you work for a a company who's now going to be the busiest it is all year. And I work for, you know, I work in the, the trucking industry where like, it doesn't, doesn't stop for the holidays, unfortunately. So it's like, it doesn't get any lighter. So that kind of stinks because there are days in this like next month. And I know that I'm going to be like, I want to, I really want to check out right now. And I can't. Mm -hmm. I will tell (laughs) you, I will tell you. I had, because, I mean, pretty much since I'd been home for college, I was working in the restaurant industry, which also does not slow down for the holidays by any stretch. Um, The one year last year where you work, you put me on a a university academic schedule where pretty much Thanksgiving until New Year's, you got nothing. nothing. You, it's the six oh weeks God. of the year that like you are just like, there's nothing. It's crazy. It's the calm before the storm and mm-hmm. it's a beautiful yeah, calm right, before because the storm. Because as soon as, but, as soon as New Year's Day, like the one of the worst yeah. is now on the, the point of that, that was like you, those six weeks are like you said, the calm before the storm, because one of the worst scaries we'll ever get is New Year's Day night. Realizing yes. that like, I hope you have your whole preseason ready. You're about to work about yep. 120 consecutive days without a day mm-hmm. off. Because like once you're in season, there is no such thing as a day off. Cause when you, when your guys don't have a day off, like you're trying to clean up everything you need yep. to like prepare down the road, whatever. Um, yeah. So I used I, to remember like, I loved this six weeks. And then as soon, like I hated new year's because it was like new yeah. year's day would roll around it. And I'd be like, Every, you know, everyone's like chilling, like whatever. They're ready to go back to work or stuff like that. And I used to be like, no, no, no. You guys can like plan stuff for next weekend. Like I'm, I'm about to start 120. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, I'm excited this year for the month of January in particular to actually have to see like, what it, it's like, actually like. Yeah. <laughs> like my dad's been talking about taking a ski trip out West and it's like, dude, I haven't been able to do that since. High school in the I, month of January. My month of January. That, yeah, last, high school. Yeah. And um, so I'm excited about that to actually experience that. But I'll tell you, I was. I remember Thanksgiving weekend last year, Danielle and I visited here the weekend before. So we were in North Carolina in Raleigh, staying down here, and then went home. We spent – she stayed around till Wednesday, basically had my feet kicked up the whole time, obviously Thanksgiving. And then the weekend was just like 
NC State UNC that great game like watching oh, what a the game. game last year Michigan Ohio State and like I was just all I did on Friday Saturday Sunday was sit under a blanket watch college football in a recliner and whenever I got bored with that turn it off and just read and it was just it was bliss it was peace like I could see why unemployment's a thing like I, I was like <laughs> I'm, I'm in like I'm in but it's just it's just like you said like it I. It was it's it was been such a funny adjustment for me, um, like you said, because we've been operating around the like academic schedule for so long. Because even in high school, you're you're still kind of operating around the academic schedule when you're in school, and then like college, like especially as college athletes, like you're just like that academic calendar is everything, and you go through these like different stages of life. And when you're coaching college baseball, it's like so funny because it's like working three different jobs. Like right, like the fall season is one thing where it's like you're, you're prepping. I remember the end of summer, like if you start in August, it's like, okay, cramming to make sure you're ready for all the guys to get back. Then you're like getting used to this new group of guys. It's a new team. So you're like understanding how this particular group needs to be coached. Like uh, is leadership going to change? Like stuff like that. And you're tr- you know trying to install and make adjustments from things that you can work on from the year before. And, you know, for me in the fall, it was like a bunch of installation of, of how I wanted – the guys to work and what I wanted, you know, what I expected out of them. And then like you would start to get bogged down by the fall because it would start to get long. So you're inner squatting all the time and like you're trying to plan things and like it matters, but it doesn't matter. Um, you're trying to make sure like, am I missing anything? And then like you said, and then these six weeks come and it's like calm before the storm. And it was just so great because like you hadn't from January until November from January the year before until November, like you're nonstop go, right? Cause you will, like we said, you'd go the 120 when you get into season starting in January, it's preseason practice and then the season starts. And then as soon as the season would end, you would take like a day and a half, you'd get exit meetings in, which would be awful. And then like exit meetings would be over and you'd be on the, like you're out on the road and then you're just out on the road nonstop until fall. I just talked about the fall and then like that six weeks comes and it's just like, Oh man, <laughs> This one, yeah. So this year it's been a funny adjustment for me because like obviously this summer I wasn't recruiting. So I was doing different things. Obviously the mer- the wedding, the honeymoon, um, moving. And then like this fall has been so fun because I'm like, I've been, tra- you know, you get to travel and just like experiencing these things. And now I'm experiencing the holidays without like just the total shutdown. Mm-hmm. So like the, the real like rat race of the holidays. Of like, ah, I can sneak a day here, I can sneak a day there, I can sneak some hours and stuff like that. And obviously, since we're down in North Carolina, the our like month of December, we're just going to spend it traveling. Um, we have like two more weeks yep. in North Carolina, and then we're going to be gone for like two weeks. So um, it's going to be interesting, but I'm excited to see yeah. how it goes. And I'll tell you what, yesterday was a sad day for me. It was like th- this morning was one of the sadder, sadder mornings every year um, waking up knowing that like college football regular season's over. It's the worst. Yeah. That is the worst. Is. Like even baseball, like baseball regular season ends and like the postseason's awesome. And like, I don't feel this sadness with college football. It just feels like that was too quick. Can we tack on five more weeks, six more weeks? Cause like, I remember week one, like it was yesterday. I remember week zero, like it was yesterday. Like it feels yeah. like that was two weeks ago to me. Um, mm-hmm getting ready to move. I moved the weekend of week zero, actually. So I was just like, uh, I woke up this morning. I was like, there isn't going to be another full slate of games until next September. That really crazy. Like I live for, I live for these three months of the year. (laughs) I got to go nine months now 
without it. And like, yeah, it's cool. And my favorite team obviously has everything to play for still conference championship next weekend. And then hopefully the playoffs, but like still not the same as a full slate. Mm-hmm. When you find yourself just watching a disgusting game for no reason, just because it's on action in November during the week, it's a Tuesday night and Bowling Green and Miami of Ohio are deadlocked in like a, 13-7 game late in the fourth. There's been two fumbles aside and 16 combined. Right? Like, it's just nothing better. You know, Big Ten matchups every Saturday, Pac-12. That's the yeah. – college football regular season is the greatest thing that's ever happened to sports. And every year when it ends, I'm so disappointed. Because you have – and all the buildup too. When you're a fan like I am where it's like you follow recruiting, you – listen to every piece of content you can to get ready for the season and then the season comes and the storylines change and who's getting fired and who's getting hired and oh man so fun matt ruled in nebraska by the way yeah PSU yesterday. yeah um, known for rebuilding be- programs so nebraska's athletic department gives them eight years Years mean nothing nowadays. Let's let's call That's it what true. it is. If you can afford it's, the buyout, I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's buyouts. Uh, Nebraska will be, will be good. Like, what's their ceiling? Eight wins, nine wins, nothing more. Big Ten's going to get harder. It's it's really like Matt rolls a flashy name just because he was in the NFL and like that's it. Well, yeah. he did such a good job at Baylor. He um, did do a good job. I thought it was so weird when he got Temple. hired by the Panthers. I, I wish he would. I mean, Baylor probably made out better because I personally think Dave Aranda's a really good coach and, like, Dave Aranda's yeah. one of the best coaches in the country. So I think they they probably made out better. But I would have liked to see what Matt Rule had done if he had stayed there for a little longer. Just because if you remember, like, he was – after the uh, the Bryles era scandals of Baylor where, like, their name was just mud and, like, they just went down the tubes – Matt Rule came in there and he had them, I think, playing for a conference championship within two years. Mm-hmm. And just what one a good job in his so, first year. Yeah, one in eleven and his then, first year, that's right. And then just yeah. and then just completely turned it around. And so I think for Nebraska, um not to just completely talk about college football tonight, but um for Nebraska, ceiling could be high. Like why can't Nebraska be Iowa? Where no, you mix it could, in like, season every once in a while. That's like, I think that's their ceiling. There. You know, that's their ceiling. Sure. And they really have sure. to do they they definitely are gonna have NIL opportunities. Um I think they would do well in the tran- in the kickback and the step up transfer portal if they can identify, you know, talent that would fit what they need, whether it be a guy jumping up from a G five, a Mac program, a Sunbelt program, wanting to play big time, wanting to get to the NFL, because of Matt Rule's player development and his background and history and right. player development. So I really think they'll do a good job and they'll do a good job enticing guys to stay. They'll do a good job getting guys from Texas and California with NIL deals where like maybe the high three stars with talent that are kind of overshadowed in their state. Um you know, it doesn't sound as bad to live in Lincoln, Nebraska through the through the cold weather months when you got a nice little NIL package coming your way, everything like that. So, you know, I think they can be, but, you know, can be good. You know, I think they'll be competent, but, you know, time and time again, we say this about hires in any sport. And then three years down the road, you go like Scott Frost was a great hire. 
Like Paula, what is Scott Frost was a great well, the, hire. The, the difference between the Scott Frost hire and the Matt Rule hires, Matt Rule has more of a track record than Scott Frost. I know Scott Frost yeah, had but the it's a long UCF team, but still, but it, like, I yeah, get but that it's the it's alumni. A, no, guy, sure, it's an alum, but he oh, never, this is a lifer, you know? He had never been a head coach above G5 before. Matt Rule's been to, you know, he, he won in the Big 12, and then he went to the NFL and he ran an NFL organization. So I can see a little bit. My thing would be, though, it, nothing wrong with the 8-10 to 10 win ceiling for Nebraska. Like, outside of four teams in the Big 10, it, I, I don't think that anyone has a ceiling better than that. And I'm stretching it with Penn State because Penn State's never – Penn State's done 11-1 once recently in the Franklin era. Were they 11-1 No, never done 11-1. No, they lost – right. So, they, like, But I would say like Penn State, year. Michigan, Ohio State, and USC probably are the only ones with a ceiling that's better than the 8-10 to 10 win window, wouldn't you think? Mm, Wisconsin. But with no, really? with no divisions, it changes everything. To me, sure, and that's what I'm saying. With no divisions, those four programs I, that I yeah. need, like, I don't think Wisconsin has a has a, a ceiling higher than ten wins. I would say that higher, no, but it's eight. There's it's a lot eight of to teams ten that wins. are in that eight to ten win. But Wisconsin, Iowa, even Illinois, um, teams like that are a lot closer than Nebraska is. Well, I th- I think Nebraska too. If you get into that eight to ten, if you have a year where you pop and win ten games, you're in the twelve team playoff, then you're competing for a national championship. Yeah. So, which will be hard to do with the future of the Big Ten. It's going to be hard to do, no matter what conference you're in. Once you go to a twelve team playoff, it's going to be mayhem. Yeah. It's going to be mayhem. Getting two of the, getting two of the Big Four every year is going to be tough on any team. If you have to play yeah. a USC, an Ohio State, a Michigan, or a Penn State every year, that's going to be. Not many teams are going to. Michigan, Ohio be State, up to and Penn State thing. have been doing it for years now, though. <laughs> yeah, they've been beating up. Well, Ohio State's been beating up on them, and then Michigan right. and Penn State. And I then know like, Michigan's in the limelight now, but they've been beating up on each other. It's pretty much a home and home series at this point. Whoever's at home wins, other than 2021. Right. Yesterday. Well, I'm talking about Penn State, Michigan. Oh, Penn State, Penn State, Michigan. Michigan yeah. Well, and I, I think, a, and then we, a wash. Like we talked yesterday, like what's been so hard too from Penn State the last couple of years is like then if you drop one of the other ones, it's your season. If you lose to Michigan State, yep. if you lose to Purdue, if you lose to, you know, for whatever reason, if you lose one of those other ones, your season's now over. So, um, but I, I don't know. I think Matt Rule will do fine in Nebraska. I think. Uh, Lane Kiffin staying at Ole Miss is probably the best situation, and it's going to be interesting. If Auburn turns to Hugh Freeze here, I think that's going to be a little bit of a disappointment for Auburn, and I think it's just going to be kind of like you continue to spin your wheels. I think they, they should get a little more creative than that. And I don't mean Brian Harson creative. I mean, like, there's there's probably some coaches in the SEC that could do a pretty good job. I, I don't know if I was them, if I wouldn't. I know you're probably going to roll your eyes at me, but I don't know if I wouldn't kick the tires on Bill O'Brien if I was at Auburn. No, I would. I'm I'm very I mean, high on Bill O'Brien. I'm very the high circumstances at Penn State that he was dealing with. I know he wasn't there for was very great. long, but the circumstances and he, he learned was dealing under, with were not good. He he the, did a great job. He built a great culture. If you read about that team, that you know the amount of guys that stuck around because of O'Brien, he learned under Nick Saban for a while. I think he's a better CEO head guy than he is a offensive caller. coordinator. 
everything he's learned under the best for a year. Like, I don't think Nick Saban hates Bill O'Brien. I think Nick Saban hates Bill O'Brien's scheme and his play calling, but I think Nick Saban respects Bill O'Brien, the man and the way he could build a, build a program and build a culture, you know, like you're going to get a really good human being that is a really good motivator of men and a really good culture builder to come in and basically try to do what Saban did because he learned under Saban for the last two years. Like, yeah, I'd sign up for that 10 times out of 10. Well, I think that's what Auburn needs. Auburn needs like less drama. I think Bill O'Brien would bring that. I think he would bring stability. The situation he inherited at Penn State was not good. And he dealt with it, and he did a great job there. It's not as bad at Auburn right now as it was at Penn State coming no, off the scandal. No, not even close. Right. So I think, like, why not? And, yeah, Saban probably hates Bill O'Brien, the OC, right now, but he should probably hate Pete Golding, the D.C., more than he hates Bill yeah. O'Brien, the well, offensive coordinator. He hates I mean, both Because that defense has been – Right. That, that defense has been a <laughs> If he didn't have Bryce Young, he'd hate, Bri- he'd hate Bill O'Brien a lot more. Yeah, and Will Anderson because would, it would have been even worse. That's true. Yeah. Um, because somehow Will Anderson had an underrated year. I guess when you set the bar that high, it's hard to duplicate it. But um, it will be interesting to see moving forward a season without Alabama in the playoff and possibly without Ohio State in the playoff. Uh, TCU, perhaps, which is kind of exciting. Um, the first non-Big the first non-Oklahoma Big 12 team will get in. We might have the Pac-12 in there for the first time since Washington was in. If USC wins out um, – so it's awesome. And Oregon State just like messing things up this weekend. It's why college football is so awesome. Anyway, we don't make this pod to talk about college football. We talk about baseball for the most part. Um, we had Marshall on last week. I hope everybody was able to catch it. Uh, he was awesome, and it was great to talk to him. Um, and obviously, as we kind of highlighted in that episode with him, he was a guy who – Went through the transfer portal this last year after leaving Goldie, um, ended up at East Tennessee State, um, and we kind of wanted to continue the conversation about the portal, I think, a little bit. Uh, it feels relevant because – and I'm just going to uh, qualify real quick. I'm sorry because I hate this, and, and everyone says it, so I just buy in um, to the norm of saying transfer portal. It's not the transfer portal that's changed college sports. It's the one-time transfer exception. The transfer portal has been around for several years now. The transfer portal is just a database to make it easier to see who's transferring. Um, It's the one-time transfer exception that's kind of made things crazy where people can transfer one time without having to sit out. In the past, if you're unfamiliar, you used to have to sit out a year if you were transferring unless you got a waiver from the NCAA. Um, Some cases I've heard they're hard to get. Some cases I've heard they're easy to get. Um, It it was case-to-case back then. Now everybody gets the one-time transfer exception, and that's what's kind of changed the landscape of college sports a little bit. And Marshall went through it, and we talked about it a little bit from a player perspective. Um, You and I thought maybe we'd touch on it a little bit from the coaching perspective um, and just kind of how coaches and college athletics across the board have to navigate it. Um, I think there's a lot of upside to it. There's also some things that – like anything, there's good and bad, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's interesting because I think it's opened up some avenues where some coaches at some programs who understand their resources and understand their program have used it tremendously. Um, Lincoln Riley being an example of that. Um, just off the top of my head, obviously we can talk about LSU if we're talking about baseball. Texas A&M last year, right? 
um, in baseball, but just it's interesting to me to see kind of how coaches have gone about it because some coaches have, have, haven't really changed much, right? I know when we were at Goldie, the one-time transfer exception happened. Um, we recruited some more of those guys, but we didn't kind of change what we were doing as far as our roadmap. We felt like we were in a place, um, just being from experience, I, we were, I felt like I was, we were at a place where we had kind of laid a foundation of bringing in high school kids and developing them. Um, and we were at a really good spot with that, that um, we kind of used it to patchwork if we needed to for whatever reason. Um, we also, at our program, didn't see a lot of attrition due to the one-time transfer exception. Now, obviously, people listen to this and say, well, we lost Marshall. It was like, but when you recruit, you recruit two to three years down the line, and we figured Marshall would leave after four years, a couple years prior before COVID had hit. So, like, it wasn't an issue that much um, when that news came. So, um, but it's interesting to see how different coaches have kind of gone about it now that that rule's in place and we're a couple years in. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a major change. And you talk about that some people haven't changed. I mean, from my perspective, seeing it from the inside, it's adapt or die, right? And you can either be stubborn and, and not believe the rule is right. You could believe in commitments. You could believe in everything like that. And you don't want to traffic in that. But just every coach and every coach has probably realized this up to this point, every your biggest competitor is out there trafficking in it. And your best player could be looking to make that move in it, whether we're talking about that at the division one level, at the smaller school levels where guys want to make that leap. You know, I always used to say like, this is from my perspective, like everybody wants to play division one baseball, right? When I pick up the phone with a junior in the fall of his, um, his junior year or fall of his senior year, that kid still thinks he's going to D one, right? We've all had that conversation with that kid way early in the process. And they're like really good division two, really good division three baseball player, but they always have their eyes set on, you know, I always jokingly said it would be like, Hey, I'm going to Delaware. And then it's like, Hey, I'm going to Lafayette. And then it's like, Hey, I'm going to East Strasburg. And then it's like, you gradually work your way down that ladder. And that kid finally is like, Hey, I'm coming to Arcadia. It's like, yeah, I knew that in May, but like it took you to, we continue to stay in touch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Glad you, you answered the phone when you needed to, because you know, the reality is those schools don't always come calling, but that when that kid develops in your program, the idea of playing at Delaware never left his mind. Right. That's just a reality. That's the reality of any athlete. That's the reality of any kid that is talented. They always want to make that next step. They always want to make that leap. And, you know, it's just a reality of roster building today. And it's a reality of the baseball today. I mean, and looking at it big picture wise, you mentioned LSU. LSU has a transfer in Christian Little, who was Vanderbilt's top pitcher who came in as a freshman like that's the reality of college baseball today and it's mind-boggling that that it happens right like it's crazy to think about you know going to your division rival and just being like yeah i'm just gonna turn over and and just go to this other team but again as a as a coach you have to be prepared and you have to be able to 
you know, whether it be supplement your roster with the right pieces because you're primarily a player development organization, you bring in high school players, you kind of build that talent through that and then kind of get one or two guys to kind of take you over the step. Or if you're a program that whether you're a new coach or if you're a program that's really trying to make a major overhaul, like you can go get six, seven, eight guys to really change the, the perception and, and of, of your lineup as a whole. So I have two questions from what you just said. The first one being, I know it, like it still does seem like odd when you're looking at rosters and you're seeing so much player movement from the year before. Don't you think though, this is one of those things that like you also mentioned adapt or die, like, Five years from now, it's not going to be strange anymore. I feel like this is one of those things that, yes, it, it it was so different because for so long we got used to, like, when National Signing Day came along, for the most part, like, that was it. You're, you're staying at the school. And still, I would say the majority of kids are staying where they commit and where they sign. Um, you're seeing a lot more late. I would say that the bigger thing is the grad transfers. Um that's a bigger deal now, especially because COVID then came in. And I think, again, that's what made this a little bit more interesting is that COVID came in and it gave a bunch of people extra years. So people like Marshall had an extra year of eligibility and everyone else gained these extra years. And the Juco guys, it seemed like they gave them like six years of eligibility somehow. They're all 28 now playing and they're still at their junior college in their fifth year at the same Juco, like waiting for that D1 offer. Um, but – so that kind of made it a little more interesting, <laughs> but don't you think like in four or five years that we're just going to be like, this is just going to be, it's going to be a part of it. Like you're going to have, it's going to be used to it and everyone's going to have figured it out. Yeah. 100%. 150% because I mean, the guys that don't, it, it's going to show, right? If there's a coach out there that doesn't want to traffic in it, doesn't believe in it, like your program's going to get left at the wayside, right? And again, like this is more of a big time college baseball level, like SEC program, which I don't think many of them do not traffic in it. I think they all kind of understand, like it's, it's about player acquisition. Right. At the end of the day, in, in college sports today, when with the transfer portal, with everything that it is, with impact talent coming in right away, with the draft shortening and you see the talent that's getting on campus. And obviously that's probably a conversation for another day. It's not about player development as much anymore. It's about player acquisition. It's about talent acquisition. If Hasn't it always been? Get, I, I, mean, yes, I, I guess my I argument like, to that would be it's like talent acquisitions. Like if you can bring in the t- – like it's always been about talent acquisition. Yes. That's it, why people recruit has, so hard. But I think it's more about now – what I'm trying to say there is more about immediate impact talent acquisition. Right. Like it's – Can the, I get the, the transfer? Like my shortstop's good. Can I get the guy that's great? Right. The guy that's going to replace this guy is good. You know, we have this sophomore who's just good. He good glove, picks it you know, contact hitter, high, high average guy, no power. Can we get the guy who's great? The first round talent, the, you know, the D one kickback for scenarios like where you and I were at. It's like, sure. You know, our right fielder can play, but can we get a guy at the division one level who might not have been able to play there, but like that kid's going to dominate the Northeast right in, in our conference. So that's kind of what I meant more from, from that regard of it's about impact immediate impact talent acquisition, especially with the kids nowadays, right? High schoolers nowadays are are bigger, stronger, faster, just better. I mean, you bring in freshmen at any level nowadays that just, they push guys. They push guys immediately. They're more prepared. They're more well-rounded when they step on campus. So 
you know, if you're not looking to fill those holes and you just really want to focus on, you know, getting those juniors and seniors to kind of get up to speed and get up to, you know, like the level of expectation and performing the way you can, like you're probably going to have teams that are not only going to have juniors that are better than your juniors, they're going to have freshmen and transfers that are coming in and that are way better than the guys that you have. Right. And I think that again, that's the good, like the good side of it is that I think some of the opportunities that have opened up for guys who, who couldn't get on the field at division one programs. And now that when they can kick back, they can have really good careers and a really good couple of years has been huge. And I think a lot of that again, comes back to that extra COVID year that some people have gotten because then they can, it's almost like a, it was like a, a do over card for some of these kids who made a decision that I don't blame them for because that decision at 17, 18 years old and shoot the way it goes today. I mean, the, 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 we're committing earlier than ever at high school. Um, so you're making the decision at 16 and like, just personally, I, I couldn't make those decisions. I transferred, right. I was a transfer. I was a product of, I didn't have the, I wasn't a part of the one-time transfer exception, but I got a waiver. I transferred down a level for one. So I, that was always a rule. If you transferred down, you didn't have to sit out. And then um, obviously had a waiver for an extra year because of an injury. So like, but I, I just think that when we ask these kids to make this decision at 7, 16, 17, 18, it's hard sometimes. And we've always treated them like they're disloyal or something when they leave. And for some guys, it's like, if this kid, what's the point of going and being a college athlete? Like, I get it. You want to be a part of the team or anything, but everybody wants to play. Everyone sets yeah. their sights. When they sign on signing day, they dream about being an impact player for that program. Yes. Now, there are the rare few people who are just program guys they're happy to wear it, right? They're they're important in every program. Every good program has them. Where you know they're gonna they're gonna you know get they're gonna do the dirty work for your program. They're happy in any time they get, even if they don't get that much time. Like they love being a part of the program. That's great. Those people are few and far between. I I think that this now opens up the doors for those sixteen year olds who sign seventeen when they're signing or committing and then signing with those schools to now be like, well. I'm now 20. I just finished my sophomore year. I've kind of learned a little bit in these, these first two years being away from home and, and kind of figuring out life and figuring out who I am as an athlete and getting out of the bubble of high school sports and into this level. And like, okay, I, like I made a bad decision. I, there's opportunities elsewhere. And even sometimes within leagues, right? Like, okay, I, like I'm going to – like this program isn't what I thought it was. I'm not doing – what I thought out where I thought I was going to be. So I'm going to move now again, it's all circumstantial and it's all case by case. Sometimes that's not a good thing. We'll get to that. I guess my next question for you that from a couple minutes ago is what do you think about this notion? Cause this is something that like you'll hear in football media, you'll hear in coaches meetings. I'm sure um, you'll hear uh, you know, baseball coaches talk about this recruiting your current yeah. roster. Do you think this See, is like, that- I guess for you, me, it's like, what were you gonna say? yeah, I, I, I just, I don't, I want to hear what you have to say about it because I have an opinion on this, but like, well, I guess to you, what did, when you hear that, are you like, yeah, you have to recruit your own roster now or the, all these guys are going to walk out the door or do you think that's just kind of this, uh, boogeyman that doesn't actually exist from, I'll start with from the baseball perspective of this and specifically the baseball perspective of what I've experienced 
if you do the right things, you're a good human being and you're honest and have a direct line of communication, you don't have to recruit your own players. If you're a player development driven organization, putting your players in a position to be successful, your players are going to want to stay and be a part of your program. Again, that's from a division three standpoint, right? Our guys are there primarily to get an education. One or two guys every year are capable of making that leap to play division one. And that's that's what they do. So those guys, like, I can't guarantee that if, you know, you have a freshman show up on your campus who absolutely goes bonkers and starts to display division one skills, he gets, you know, has a friend at a division one who knows he can ball and he reaches out and that kid makes the leap. Yeah, sure. Maybe there's some conversations that you have to have, but the reality of the situation is that in the baseball landscape in the baseball landscape that I have firsthand knowledge of, there is no recruiting your, your own roster. There is no doing that because as long as you're a developing them and putting them in a position to be successful and B having a direct line of communication and having honest conversations about where they stand, where they stand in your eyes, what their future looks like, all those things like that, then that person isn't looking for an out. Now, there might be that opportunity where they understand where they are on the roster and they want to have an out, right? Like you said, I think that's the piece that gets missed in this whole thing is every kid wants to play. Every kid that goes to, you know, the preferred walk on to the top guy in the class, they all want to play, right? And getting an opportunity to play is what it's all about. So if a kid wants to play and he's your second, second baseman on, you know, and behind a sophomore when he's a sophomore, there's nothing wrong with, as long as you're having an open line of conversation communication, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with that kid transferring. If I was a good, because I I believe in being a good human being and doing the right thing, I'm actually picking up the phone and calling maybe that school that I know he would be taken care of and having a good coach and having a good player development system that he can thrive in. But if we want to take it from the other end of like SEC baseball, you know, if there's some booster out there that really believes in LSU baseball, that is willing to traffic in the name, image, and likeness landscape and willing to offer guys up deals like that. And let's just say Christian Little from Vanderbilt obviously has guys that he was probably played travel ball with, probably played at PG All-American games with, all those things like that at LSU. And if that kid picks up the phone and, and just says to him like, hey, you know, just classic back channeling, like friend of a friend. Hey, I'm just, I'm not saying this is a guarantee, but we got a booster here who wants to throw dollar bills and wants to throw dollar bills at you to become our ace of our staff. Yeah, then you got to recruit your own roster. And because no matter what, no matter the relationship you build, no matter how well you develop talent, I mean, Vanderbilt develops pitchers as good as anybody. There's a first round pitcher every year from Vanderbilt, it seems like. And there's no player development or relationship building that can you know, get the dollar signs out of somebody's eyes, especially at a young age, like 18, 19. So, you know, from that standpoint of like college football and, and big time college baseball, like when you're starting to throw around dollar bills and, and dollar signs and things like that are starting to be, you know, talked about, I think the idea of recruiting your own roster becomes a major component of what you have to do. And you really have to prioritize how to keep those guys. Um, but in terms of what normal college baseball is, normal college baseball, not college football, normal college baseball. I don't think NIL, I don't think things like that are a reality of it as big as college football, but it, it is still, I'm sure there's people that like, hey, dude, you want to make that leap from the CAA to the SEC and be a professional baseball player. Sometimes as a coach, you have to look yourself in the mirror and understand that that kid's just doing what's best for his career. I mean, look at Chase Dolander. 
Right. I'm shocked we come down on the same side of this. Um, yeah. That was sarcasm, obviously. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's that's kind of what I – whenever I hear that, I'm like, well, I think I was always recruiting my own guys without ever thinking about them. Oh, I'm doing this. By coaching. Like they might transfer. Right. Like I'm just coaching my guys and trying to build the best relationship I can with them because they're on the roster. I've recruited them to be there, so I want to treat them – with the utmost respect and build a relationship with them so that we can be successful. Because again, like you said, at our level where draft wasn't really that big of a deal, NIL wasn't, you know, you might have a couple, a guy once every couple of years who can be a draft prospect or, or can bump up, like you said, in which case, again, like then that's what's best for them. And you, like you said, when you're at our level, you have to realize that like, okay, yeah, this might not be to the benefit of our program. This is the benefit to the kid. And I'm, if I'm not a con man, then I'm helping him do that. And I'm helping him realize that, yeah, maybe this is what you need to do. Like make yeah, the leap. And, and I don't like, I, I'm allowed to let you finish your point, but I want to make a point too quick. And you'd be an idiot not to use that as a recruiting pitch. Sure, right. Then you can turn around and you use it need, as recruiting like, pitch. Like Correct. you use that to your advantage to prove that you develop talent. Like this is how right. good our player development is, is that we have sent XY kid to the division one level. Right. And I think that, um, so from, from that level of things, I, I was always recruiting my roster, I guess, is, is my answer to that. Now, to me, it's, it's where this has all gotten muddled. And I think at the power five level in baseball, there's a little more NIL than maybe gets, advertised because obviously the coverage in the media of like everything's so football centric in college sports and that's what people kind of have to realize like if you go to a school where there's a football team you know what i'm talking about right like if you go to a school where there's a football team even when i was at a division two school like you understand that like it it kind of all revolves around football right because that's where the scholarships are going that's what people I mean, look at the TV deals that the Power Five conferences are signing for football. There isn't a baseball conf- – there isn't a conference in the country for baseball that's signing a TV deal that even sniffs. You could add them all up and it wouldn't come close to one conference college – you know, one conference's football media rights deal. But when you start talking about NIL, it gets muddled for me because like we don't, we still – NIL is still so new as well and there's so little legislation of, of it that we still don't know, right? Like a lot of this stuff isn't – being published like how much this kid is making how much does the coldest crawford the wide receiver at nebraska get for his hvac commercials i don't know kirby smart said during media days in the summer that 90 guys on their roster have nil deals i don't know what the dollar amount is to that do they have a do they have a a, a 200 nil deal do they have a two million dollar nil deal how much money is stetson bennett making you don't know right and you're not going to know and so i think that muddles things too because yeah do you need if there's boosters out there at other schools in these in these power five programs that are sitting at schools like lsu and then i would imagine texas a&m as well because they're doing it for football if they're willing to pay for baseball players too then yeah like maybe if i am sitting at an acc school like state that that's NC State. If, 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 if I don't have the, the financial backing like that, do I need to then recruit my roster a little harder and maybe try and push? But then again, the one piece of legislation about NIL that I do know is that coaches aren't supposed to have any doings with NIL, right? They're, they're, not, yeah. they, they can, they're not supposed to hook people up. They're not supposed to broker deals. They're not supposed to tell people this or that or anything. 
do I know if that's being followed to the letter of the law? Who knows? And I think that's what makes this such a complicated topic for so many people. And I think that's what makes so many people uncomfortable when it comes to both because they were kind of the one-time transfer exception and NIL was kind of introduced almost at the same time. It felt like they, they go hand in hand to a lot of people in their, in their minds. And that's what makes people uncomfortable. But again, I think in, with, it's so hard to know sitting on the outside. Like unless you're in these rooms and you're peddling and you're trafficking, as you say, in this world, you don't know. If you're not a booster, if you're not a power five coach, if you're not a power five athlete who's who's, you know, dealing with this stuff, then how are you supposed to know? And how like it's hard to almost form an opinion on it. Cause like I just found it interesting that like it seems like we do know though. Like a lot of times in the media we want to talk about like it's a given that we know these things. That NIL is playing a huge factor in this. I don't know. I know what happened at Texas A&M with football is fishy. I also know that, like you said, and we've mentioned here tonight, that they also got a ton of transfers to their baseball roster. They went to the College World Series last year. Is that on the backs of oil money? Possibly. Yeah. Like, I, but, but who am I to say? Like, I don't know. I remember when it was being like when it first started, and we were talking about Bryce Young making a million dollars, and everyone was like, "Oh." A college athlete making that much money, and it's like, well, who cares? And I think that's where, like, it's going to end up with some of this stuff too. It's like it's just going to become normal. I know it's hard for people that like change sucks, and we get used to things a certain way. And as Americans, especially, we like when we have things the way that we're comfortable and we're used to them. But change is okay, and I'm sure at some point there's going to be some legislation written in here. Then there's going to be some rules once everyone kind of gets an understanding of what's happening. Yeah, and I think the, I the point you made that's the, the point you made that that really resonates is the positives of it, and we can sit here and we can talk about it. I think, like, think about the guys that, like, a it makes the quality of college baseball at every level better, right? Now, yes. there's not a guy who's sitting on the bench at a Division One school in the Sun Belt who is eight hours from home. His girlfriend goes to another school. He He's just miserable, right? And that kid doesn't feel obligated to stay. He gets to take a step back and go to the Division two or Division level and play. Because at the end of the day, like, the whole goal of playing college baseball is to do exactly what I just said, play college baseball. And sure, that knocks one kid out of the pitching rotation at that school that he goes to. But that kid can kick down to a school that he would pitch pitch at right and then that kid kicks at you know and there's a trickle down effect and all it does is kick the worst guy off the roster of probably not a very good team right and it it just kind of for lack of a better term trims the fat there's gonna be a lot more kids that shouldn't be playing college baseball nowadays that won't be playing college baseball anymore they're not just going to be filling out division three rosters you're gonna have division three rosters that have 50 kids that can flat out play that can flat out play because the talent level on the whole from top bottom is going to be better because the best players at division three now can make the jump up to division one, which kicks that division one kid down to division two and kicks that kid down to division three. And it just cycles. It's almost like a cycle of improving each level talent wise. It also gives players the opportunity to make the right decision like how are you to say that the kid that goes to this school isn't homesick or you know we live in a society and a generation that we have access to our significant others at the drop of a dime how are you going to tell him that he's eight hours away and he doesn't he misses his significant other 
How are you going to tell him he shouldn't do whatever? He shouldn't do this. So the freedom of players to make decisions rather than Marshall talked about how stressful it was to make that decision at 21, 22 years old. He said he wouldn't, he doesn't think he would have the maturity to make that decision at 18 to know what was important, to know what his priorities were. So the, some people back themselves in a corner and it just gives you the freedom to make a decision that works for you, right? For works for the player. I'm all about players' rights. Where I start to get wishy-washy about it is back channeling, is money being thrown around. And again, we that's that's a college football podcast. You guys, the cover three, Josh Pate, you guys go find that podcast to hear them <laughs> talk about the back channeling and stuff like that. I don't think that's happening in baseball. Like, would I say that I wouldn't if I was at X school as a player that I wouldn't reach out to my boy that thinks I could could help us win a national championship. Of course, we all did it, right? Like, hey, when you were at Shepherd, you had a friend I'm sure at Dell State that was really good baseball player that might not have been enjoying it. What was the first thing you said? Like, hey, you got a spot playing right field at down here in Shepherdstown. We've all done it, right? Like, we've all literally trafficked in that that you want to call it back channel and tried to get guys to come you know, help us be a better program and help us win games. And the NIL thing, the same kind of concept. Like you're telling me Zion Williamson, who's a generational talent, was a generational college baseball player, can't sign a shoe deal at 18 years old. We got YouTubers that are 12 and 13 Twitch streaming for a couple thousand bucks a week, making more money than me and you. It's like, it, it. why can't, just because Zion Williamson is a college athlete, he can't sign a deal. The one thing where I think that NIL, and, and I know we don't want to talk about NIL all night, but the one thing that worries me, because again, to me, it's like, is this in the, number one for me is, is this in the best interest of student athletes? That's how I operated when I was coaching. And that's just kind of my belief. Yeah. It's like, is it in the best interest? The one thing that concerns me sometimes is if we start going down the path of handing out the big NIL deals to the high school kids. That to me makes it a little bit tough because sure, if this kid's a really good high school baseball player and he's signing a fat NIL deal to go to LSU and then he goes to LSU and guess what? It just doesn't work out for whatever reason. He's not good enough. Now you're paying this. You're like on the hook, right? It's like signing a bad, it's like handing out a bad yeah. free agent contract, but now we're doing it to 18 year olds. That's what worries yes. me. Sure. You want to hand out the NIL deal to a shoot. I don't know. Tommy White, who last year with NC State went nuts and LSU can cut him a check and get him down there like yeah he proved his worth last year at the division one level at the power five level that he's 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 good he's really good he can and that's if that's if he has an nil deal we don't we don't know if he's an nil deal we don't know right i'm not saying right if that's what happened i was just looking for an example right and and obviously i can give you more examples from football right like you want to give stetson bennett a bunch of money this year yeah stetson bennett won a national championship last year he's going to be the starting quarterback at the university of georgia who's going to be one of the best programs in the country give him nil money you know you want to give will anderson a bunch of nil money great you want to give i you know X, Y, and Z, who's proven at that level, that's great. But if you want to give a kid because he's a top recruit and you think he's going to pan out, like that's a dangerous game to play. That's like signing a prospect before he makes his MLB debut, right? Yeah. Scott Kingery signed a six-year deal with the Phillies. Dylan Bundy signed an extension before he even touched the soil. Scott Kingery hasn't been in the big leagues in three years. Mm Mm-hmm. Like that, that's a that's the risk you're going to play. Yeah. Now you add in one time transfer exception. So if I cut an NIL deal for this kid and I'm paying Quinn Ewers, 
I mean, if you want to look at the situation that happened with Quinn Ewers, where he's a quarterback, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country, he's the number one quarterback in the country, he's going to graduate, he was going to be in the 2021 class, and he wants to get NIL deals in high school, they tell him no, the Texas State Board says no, Mm -hmm. so he says, okay, I'm done, I'm going to Ohio State. Sits on the bench for yeah. a year where they're paying him money at Ohio State to be the quarterback, to be in the quarterback on the roster at Ohio State. He doesn't take a snap. He's at Texas the next year. That's where yep. that stuff gets a little money to me and like where I don't even like talking about it that much because it's like yes. I, there's just so much unknown and things can go wrong because now you're and, putting, you're, you're jeopardizing these student athletes by putting it in the hands of adults who can't be trusted. You can't be trusted who know more than these kids and the people advising right. the kids and they can put fine right. print on an NIL deal. I am 100%. I think NIL deals should be orchestrated when you get on campus or like you after said, your first you know, season of play after you, you prove your worth at the, when it starts getting involved in high school recruiting, it becomes a problem. It becomes a, when, and when programs are organizing the NILs, Right. Like, cause the example of Zion Williamson is like Nike wanted to sign Zion to a shoe deal. Right. And he couldn't because he was at Duke. Mike Krzyzewski and Duke did not call Nike and say, Hey, I want this guy to play for us. And I think you should sign him to a shoe deal. Right. There's a major difference in those two things. Major difference in, in, an oil, a guy who owns a big oil company in the state of Texas being like, Hey, you're a really good high school football player. Come play for Texas A&M and Bryce Young winning the Heisman and being able to make some money off of his name and being able to be in the Dr. Pepper commercials and being able to be that guy, right? There's a major difference and how that impacts college sports, how that impacts college athletics, how that impacts college baseball on the whole is obviously, like you said, it gets very, very muddy in the water when you start giving a high school kid who you don't know how mature they are. You don't know how they're going to physically grow. You don't know what their work ethic is. You don't know. There's so many variables that you have no idea of. And you're starting to kind of agree on things financially that make his decision have to be a financial decision, not for his best interest. And you end up with situations where both sides are not happy. There's fine print that says like, hey, well, you know, your NIL deal was based off if you pitched, you know, average 30 innings a year. And it's like, well, I didn't know that. Well, of course you didn't know that because I'm smarter than you and I. And have, is I'm, that happening is my question. Right. Like it, I would like to see one it, of these NIL yeah. deals. We're never going to. But like and I think for mm-hmm. me, the the last point I'll make on this, because I don't again, we didn't want to really talk about NIL that much. It's just like. I'm cool with it if it's a John John Ruiz situation, the booster in Miami, who's like, I'm just going to hand out blanket NIL deals. Cool. Yeah. If you're giving everybody on the roster that same thing, now you're not putting yes. any extra pressure. Because mm-hmm. my extra pressure, too, now I'm thinking, like, if I'm trying to put myself in a place I've never been, which is a, a Power 5 baseball coach, right? If I'm sitting there and I got a booster, who if I'm, I'm working at Texas or Texas A&M, I got a booster who's drilling for some good oil. Times are good, as we know. Everybody sees gas prices. If he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pay this high school kid, and he's gonna, he's gonna come in. I'm gonna get him to come here. Great. What if I'm now going through the fall and I go, this kid can't pitch on this staff this year, and then that booster's calling me, going, What are you doing? I just gave this kid six figures to come to our school. He's not stepping on the field. His nil, his endorsement of my company or whatever X, Y, and Z company that he's working this nil deal with is 
there's no value in it for me. What are you doing? You got to send him out there. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm, I'm trying to win games so I can keep my job. I can't run this kid out there. He's going to pitch to a 12 ERA. Has that happened? Yep. Is that going to happen? Again, that's where I don't know. And if you really want to mm-hmm. open up a Pandora's box, which I don't want to, college basketball, where a lot of these guys are one and done anyway. So they yeah. don't have the time to prove their worth. And that's something that, like, thankfully I don't follow college basketball that much, so I can't speak on it and I won't. <laughs> but, like, if you want to talk about Pandora's box for me, that, like, it is like, I just wish we could find a way for someone to, like, be able to legislate properly. I know we, you know, nobody likes legislation and overture and oversight, but like we need something because NCAA got their butts kicked in the Supreme Court. Yep. And that's washed their hands of it and said, I'm out. You guys do what you want. I'm out. Yep. We just got dragged in the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. Good luck. This is what you guys wanted. Go ahead. And then you had, you have coaches fighting in press conferences, you know, via the media over it yep and so it's just like that that to me that's where i just like kind of like turn a blind eye yeah and and obviously like you said and i think this all comes full circle because nil and transfer portal do go hand in hand together and i know we're talking about college baseball specifically and the, the transfer portal is much bigger in college baseball than it is in and then nil is in college right. baseball from our knowledge and this is you know like I would say we're pretty close. Like we're not there. Like in we're not these experts, rooms. We're right? Not, yeah, we're, we haven't been in the like. We can't say concretely like that. Like yes, this is happening, or no, it's not. But we were close enough. We we don't have like when it comes to college football, we're just flies on the wall that that listen to podcasts that everybody has access to. Like that's that's our knowledge base there. But message when you really well. understand, like yeah, they do they do go hand in hand. Right. And, you know, it's just player empowerment, right? Which is fine, but you have no union to protect this. You have, which when you need legislation, which, where does that go next? Right. You unionize, you get protection. You're, then you were a professional sport in baseball, then you're professional basketball, then you're professional football. And guess what? Sorry. I love college baseball. I love college football. The product is not – if you're trying to be NFL light, if you're trying to be MLB light, if you're trying to do all these things, how many minor league baseball games do you tune in right. a year? Right, right, How you many don't. How many tickets are minor league games? We, we got to get the Cowboy Monkey Rodeo in town to get anyone to show up for a minor league baseball game, right? We got to – the only way people show up to those games is because there's monkeys riding dogs. Yeah. Like – And then you start to really realize that like – to our eyes right now, LSU versus Texas A&M or Tennessee it's versus about the brand. Vanderbilt is great baseball. But it's when the brand. it starts to lose the image of the brand, you start right. to realize, like, I could be spending my Friday night watching the Phillies Braves and watching right. Kyle Wright pitch against Zach Wheeler. And I could be right. watching Bryce Harper play against – Austin Riley and the product of college baseball loses its monetary it value. Which it the tanks. eyes on college baseball anyways, like it's not, let's not act like, and that's the thing that gets dangerous about this too, is because everything's football driven. Like, yeah, sure. I watch the college football more than I watch the, the NFL. There's a lot of people that are like me, right? I don't like it. Me and you yeah. refer to it as the Sunday league. I, we don't, we don't pay attention to it as much. I don't really, I don't, the, my favorite team's kicking off in eight minutes, and this is the first time I've thought about it all day. Probably not even going to turn yes. it on. 
Like, I from noon till like 1 a.m. yesterday, I was glued to my TV. That doesn't happen in college baseball. So now if you start mm-hmm. trying to pedal in the same thing that college football is doing with NIL, like – it's just such a. It, it makes me sad to think about because I love college yes. athletics, and it's like I don't want to see. I don't want to see because. And then, like I don't. Again, a, a box I don't really want to open up is like, what happens to women's basketball? What happens to softball? What happens to lacrosse? What happens to field hockey and soccer sports that really like you want to talk about for the love of the brand, for, for volleyball? Like if you, you anybody watched the no, but go look up highlights from the Big Ten championship in volleyball this year. Yeah, electric. It's about the brand. Like now, if we're talking about that money drives it, what happens to those sports? Well, how do they cease to exist? What happens to those other sports if money becomes too big in college football and college football wants to branch off from the NCAA with these right, big schools? Right. That's right. And then you're talking about the basically the fall of every other sport, including baseball, which we obviously love, including college baseball, and including all that because those schools are funded. D1, D2, D3 are funded by not college not college football playoff. They're funded by March Madness because it's the NCAA March Madness. Correct. It is the, and the World ESPN Series. college football playoff and the presented NCAA by Dr. College Pepper. World Series presented by right. Dr. Pepper. So the, the NCAA actually makes no money off the college football None. playoff. Just a, just a good disclaimer there. Good Schools business deal by them letting ESPN. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's a scam. But anyway, but these big, you know, conferences, there's a lot of kickback and they bring a lot of money to the school to fund other sports. That's a reality of it. But if we continue to head in the direction that we're going down, it loses everything and it loses the And it's going to take people like, a lot co- smarter than you and I to figure this all yeah. out. And and college baseball, like this is what people don't understand, right? It frustrates it, it. It frustrates me when people surface level analyze stuff. Right, shortening the draft pissed people off. Why? How many twenty fifth rounders make the MLB? How many thirty second rounders make the MLB? Right. How many fortieth rounders make the MLB? Sure, Mike Piazza was cute. How many guys in his draft round made it past no, a ball? No. Shortening the draft was one of the best things for college baseball to do. Oh, getting the, those players the on guys campus that are now? getting on campus. Yeah, exactly. Because if you're an MLB organization, you're not taking the high school kid with talent. That kid ends up on campus, and that kid ends up having to play in the SEC, play in the ACC. Plus, you have the opportunity to chase Dolander. He's a stud pitcher, slipped through the cracks out of high school, goes to South Alabama, stud pitches against Tennessee, one good year, makes the leap, goes to Tennessee. He's going to be the number two overall pick in the draft next year. He's going to be top three, barring injury. He's one of the best pitchers in the country. His stuff is elite as elite comes. And he was pitching in whatever lower conference you want to call at that point in time. Now he's pitching big-time college baseball. College baseball has such a good opportunity to continue to grow its brand, to almost be a money-making sport like the – you know, there's people that show up at Tennessee. Go watch in June when the College World Series and there's a regional at freaking in in Rocky Top. Those people that show up for the football games, they also show up for baseball games. Because say what you want about the people that show up for football games, the locals. Old America loves baseball. I don't know why sometimes because it can be a boring <laughs> brand. But those well, people that show up the to the football games every Saturday, yeah. There, there's people that show up to the football games every Saturday that love Tennessee football. 
if you put a baseball brand out there on warm weather days in the southeast of the country, they're going to show up and you're going to make money. And the talent in college baseball is better than it's ever been. And it's going to continue to get better each and every year. And everybody cries about the, the 25th rounder not being able to get into A ball. You're doing that kid a favor because you're giving him a college degree. He's getting the opportunity to play college baseball and he's not wasting his life away in minor league baseball. Go ask a minor leaguer if they would have other people sign up for it or if they'd go play, go back and play college baseball again. Some of those guys, even not at big schools, lived more lavish lives in college baseball than they are in the minor leagues right now. And oh. that's the opp- that's the opportunity that college baseball has to really build their brand and continue to understand and make people understand that this is the best college baseball's been. And guess what? That means this is the best Division Two's been. I can tell you for a fact, if you don't have kids that throw ninety on your staff in Division Three, Division Three, you will not win baseball games. Like ninety is the new eighty-two. Like it is like it's the talent that yeah, the talent and you can talk about like, like division one staffs, you know, with the limited scholarships and with everything that happened, we both recruited last summer. How many division one teams would you hear? Yeah. We're bringing in four guys, four guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Four guys. So that means that low level division one guy is going where? The PSAC and that PSAC guy is going to the CAC and that CAC guy is going to the MAC and it trickles down. I can tell you for a fact, I know I, I still talk to people. There's kids on division three rosters right now that should be playing division two. And there's kids on division two rosters that are freshmen, true freshmen that should be playing up a level because the talent is better than it's ever been. And you could see it recruiting. I, I'd be out in September of last year and see a kid play and be like, this kid's not committed. We've already got right. 47 kids coming in our class, but like I I'm not doing my job if I'm not recruiting this kid, but because he's that talented. Yeah. And I think the hope for both of us, we'll, we'll wrap it up here, but like, I think the hope for both of us right through all of this is that we continue the trend of, of having the talent on campus and having that. And that's the one thing that, that you and I, I think both with this is, Listen, the one-time transfer exception, it's its just a rule. And it's something that I think, especially in baseball, has been a positive. I don't think that it's really harmed anything. I think it's allowed schools with different resources and, and maybe unique situations to get creative and to supplement the roster. I think it's helped coaches who have come in and taken over bad situations get better quicker. I think it's helping smaller level programs when you talk about low level D one or D two or D three like that, and that's a good thing for all of the kids that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but for all the kids that are transferring out of D two to go to D one or even D three to go to D one, right? You had a player on your roster last year who's now at a Division one school. Um, you saw the, the team you played in regional said like their whole middle infield's gone, right? They're their whole Division infield one, that level. Their whole. But for all those kids, and there's probably there, two kids yeah. that are kicking back. Would you agree? Yes. For all the kids that are bouncing two, up, maybe two, three. Kids back. two, maybe three. And to me, that's yeah. healthy. That's healthy all around because that's like healthy. You said, for those kids, for those kids that are that are are not getting on the field at Division One level, they can now go have really good careers at the Division Two level or lower Division One or Division Three. For the kids who get into a program at the lower levels and shine, they can go up. To me, that's healthy. 
And for the D2 and D3 programs to continue to survive, to have it two to one, that's the perfect ratio. That's where it needs to be. So for me, I think yeah. like the, the economics of player movement in baseball with the one-time transfer exception, it's it's healthier and it's better. And, and that's what I just hope can continue. Yeah. It's like you said, I mean, it's college baseball has a, I mean, I know we just talked about college baseball has a great opportunity now to market itself into a legitimate brand. College baseball, the passion of college baseball, the fan base is, I mean, still look back to Drew Gilbert's grand slam in regionals two years ago, down by three in the ninth inning and just watching Rocky top just go absolutely nuts. Like there is passion in college baseball. There's passion in division one college baseball at the SEC and ACC and PAC 12 and big 12, right? All four of those conferences have fan bases that are rabid football schools. And they will show up for a good. They want something to do program. in the spring, right? Yeah, they want something to do when the weather's nice and they want to get outside. And plus, everybody's kid plays baseball. Everybody's family members play baseball. The, you're telling me families wouldn't go out to these games? And like you said, I mean, we had a kid who kicked back from a program that won a national championship at the Division One level, and this is a kid who is low nineties, two good off speed pitches, and wasn't touching the field there. That kid should not be wasting his time sitting on the bench at a Division One just because he can't. His family's in the area. His girlfriend's in the area. Everything. Like, his mental health was better when he made the move. And if you talk to that kid, it's like, is this that school? No, it's not that school. It's never going to be that school. You know, Arcadia has a great situation. I tell everybody it's a Division One program at the Division Three level because of the commitment from the athletic department. It's a, it is an amazing run program because of the the coach that's there running it, because of the way they go about their business, and because of the way the athletic department treats that program. Because they want to win, they want to build a contender, and that's why it's a great experience for guys at the Division Three level. But why should guys throw? throwing 92 with good spin and off speed be riding the bench in it at a really good division one program when they could be having a really good time being a really good mental state and have a really good career at the division three level because at the end of the day like we said you sign up to play you you go to play college baseball to do exactly exactly that you go to play you don't go to be the culture guy on the end of the bench those guys are great you said it they're great but those guys shouldn't be wasting their time when they could be in a better position closer to home playing college baseball. And it's like, if you can get out and watch a game this spring, like you will see the talent level at each level is just 100% better than it's ever been. It's going to continue to get that way. As long as the draft continues to be short, which it will, it'll probably get shorter and player movement, turn on the sec network on a Friday night, Look at a guy like Chase Dolander pitching against Christian Little with Dylan Cruz, with Tommy Tanks, with Paul Skeens. Like these are guys that are going to play in, you know, at least close to the big leagues, you know, if not a shoe in to play in the big leagues. And college baseball has a really good opportunity to continue to market what they're doing. Let's get all of our information off of paywalls. That would help. It's frustrating. <laughs> Everything, every single thing of information you want to find about college baseball is behind a paywall. Maybe Dan and I can start to provide that light for people. If you guys really want college baseball content and people start tuning in, we'd, we would be willing to do that. But like everything's behind a paywall. It's impo- It's like, there's like, it's like the country club is college baseball. Like anybody who knows anything about 
college baseball at the division one level. Like you're a part of the country club, like welcome. Like it's, right. it's like the Illuminati. It's non-existent. Like nobody knows where it is. <laughs> so you got, you need a special password to get in. So there's my, uh, there, there's We're all, my, we all uh, around the table with our hoods up. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, did you, did you know that this person wanted to learn more about college baseball, but we had to pay $50 a year just to do that. It's like, well, I'm not that interested. I just want to know who the top transfers are in the country. Right. It's interesting. And I mean, it's something that you could talk about over and over again. Um, You know, we could probably do several episodes on it, but it was good to get on here and talk about a little bit. It was great to have Marshall last week. Hopefully we can continue to bring some guests on as we move throughout the off season and do some different things and talk about things like the transfer portal and NIL and things of that nature. Um, Make sure you download, like subscribe, share with friends. Uh, Find us on YouTube. We go live on YouTube when we record um, Sunday nights. So, uh, Trev, any final thoughts? Any last words? Are you sad that the college football is over? Yeah, but I'll tell you, it's the month of December is the best time to be a college football fan because all it is is optimism about what your roster is going to look like next year. Yes. Can we get this big transfer? Who's good? Oh, signing day. Oh, this guy's going to be a stud. Blah, 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 blah. And it's bowl prep, so you're getting the young guys good looks. Like I'm telling you, the off season is it's surprisingly where I fell in love with college base or college football. It's literally like it's the weirdest, most backwards thing in the world. But like the off season drama, coaching searches, oh I die oh, for a hot better. board. I, I die. I, die. I, I live and die for, for a hot board to be popping up on my 247 page of like this guy, the rumors of this, yep. people are tracking flights. College football fans are crazy. So yeah, I'm disappointed that I'm not going to watch it any more games on Saturday. We got one more hopefully on January 2nd that I'll be able to dial it in on. But the the off season is the best time because, you know, everybody's everybody's going undefeated in, in your mind during during the months of May and June and, and you got spring practice reports. So uh, I'll be, I'll be on the message board still every day. <laughs> oh, no doubt. And that's what, one thing why I think college football is so much fun is because the off season is polarizing. And so like, I'd love the yes. regular season and I'm sad it's over. Um, obviously being a Georgia fan, we got the school, the school from down in Baton Rouge this weekend to win an SEC championship and then hopefully the playoff um, and trying to repeat as national champions, which is awesome. But to me, the regular season's great. And obviously, recruiting's fun, especially, again, being a spoiled Georgia fan where it's like, well, are they going to finish at one, two, or three in the recruiting rankings after signing day? Like, it's a blast. Um, I, I got to so, I gotta read this for uh, – Go ahead. just popped yeah, up go on ahead. my phone. Go ahead. So, one of Texas A&M's freshmen hit the transfer portal – and somebody quoted it and said, entire class got the bag and said, all right, let me go where I actually wanted to go. And the kid yeah. proceeded to retweet the tweet. Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah, that's a situation. I mean, if if anybody wants to – wow, that's a situation. What's going to happen Just at no Texas a this offseason is going to be a circus. No, none of those kids do. Half that class has been suspended multiple times this year. They clearly – did exactly what Nick Saban accused them of doing. They proceeded to win four games this year, five games this this season, uh, not be bowl eligible, and now they're all going to hit the door. Wow. 
think yeah, we should just spend every week talking about the transfer portal and NIL. Like, d- like where we should just start the conversation with like, so the transfer portal, and like we could just get rolling on like a forty minute conversation about like like whatever sport. Like we could we could end up in a wrestling rabbit hole one of these days. Who knows? Like you never know. Yeah, probably, but <laughs> not tonight. Catch us next week. We'll be back. Uh, thanks for tuning in.